Crimes While Caffeinated contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> I can't hear you. That was the evil laugh. What the hell was that? No, because I was laughing. Okay, so I've already hit record. So listeners, I literally text Abby and say, bitch, let's go. I've got shit to discuss. And then she messages me at the same time and goes, bitch, let me in. Or let me in. Not bitch, let me in. But that's how I perceived it. So It had it had bitch energy. That oh, yeah. And then she attached a, a gif. So, um, But, okay, so I was just watching TikTok. And TikTok goes, I was today years old when I found out that they put bras on dead women. And I was like, excuse me, but why do, why does it matter if my titties are flapping or not if I'm dead? (laughs) I think it's just to make you look presentable if you're going to have an open casket. But like, why? I doubt that you're going to have a nipple erection (laughs) while you're dead. No, but have you ever like, (laughs) you have like. I don't know. I, I I have big boobs. If you have big boobs and you lay down, they'll, they just, they'll just slide. They the just side. go. They don't stay right there. They don't stay pointed up. Are you telling me? Are you? Te- I, so are you going to? I, I'm assuming that both you and I are the type of people who are like cremate me. But also like, if you were to have an open casket, which I don't know why anyone does that. I mean, I know the like. It's a Catholic thing. Making peace with it. Yeah, I guess so. But I just, would you be like, like in your will or like declaration of what you want to happen to you when you die? Be like, I want no bra. No, like no bra. No bra on those titties. I want free titties. What if someone specifically requested to be naked during their open casket? Honestly? It's got to have happened. It has to have happened. I would do that. Let me see. Let me look it up. <laughs> Requested to be naked at an open casket funeral. Um. Well, uh, welcome to Crimes All Cabinet. <laughs> Hello. And welcome. Someone said, has, wait, when I go to Google, it's one of the options is, has anyone ever requested the death penalty? Oh, no. Your honor, yeet me. Yeet me into oblivion, please. Um, this bitch empty. Your honor, respectfully, this bitch empty. Yeet. Honor, I am not a cat. <laughs> I am not. Your honor, I can assure you that I am not a cat. <laughs> uh that and then i also while i was waiting for you took the 15 minute uh for me quiz that's popping on um on tiktok right now of uh your daily self-help program and i am 48 percent tension 38 percent anxiety and 33 percent depression amazing <laughs> i'm reading i'm sorry i'm reading the answers okay I'm very interested. Oh, I'm Marissa, by the way. So, there. This is from. That's Abby talking. 
Oh, yes. I'm Abby, one of your co-hosts. That's Marissa, your other co-host. We just have chaotic energy today. We do have chaotic energies today. It's it's a weird, I'm on a weird sleep schedule now because Same. I was up late last night. But you so, go first. Okay. Okay. So this is somebody, this is from Quora.com and somebody asked, has anyone ever requested in their last wishes to be buried naked? <laughs> And how does this affect an open casket viewing? Somebody who worked in the funeral industry for 30 years said, I've never heard such a request. And the <laughs> ultimate decision would have to be coordinated between the funeral director and the family. So. Like, do you think a nudist has re- asked for that? Um, that They're saying that they would have to be, like, basically they would have to be covered even if they were naked. If there was an open casket funeral, most funeral homes that prepare the body would would deny the request for them to be naked during the funeral, but they can be buried naked. So one guy said, um, yes, yes, that he, he was a formal, former funeral director and he said, yes, this was a request from somebody, um, but the person was dressed for the viewing and funeral. And then he said, I removed the clothing before I locked the casket and returned him to the family. According to his mother, he always slept naked and wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) He wanted to be buried that way. Do you want to be buried naked? (laughs) I don't want to be buried at all. I want to be. Eternal sleep. (laughs) Eternal sleep naked. Here are my options for, for my, my death. And are you listening? Oh, no. These are my options for what I want done with my body after death. Okay, one, I'm okay with being donated to science. Just, I'm fine with that. Okay. Give me to students, let them cut me open. That's fine. <laughs> Two, um, I want to be cremated. Um, We're going to do whatever we have money for. Yeah, we'll do whatever we have money for. Don't be like, I'm gonna be donated to the sign. I want listen. If we don't have money for shit, I'm gonna drive you to Maine. Not even drive you to Maine. She's gonna throw you in the New York Harbor. You're gonna throw me in the Hudson? Oh, of course. Okay, thanks. I love this. the other the other thing that is a possibility and i'm not saying this has to be done this is also tell anna that like first off how's my wife doing but also um wants to know how her wife is doing she's doing good how are you i'm i'm wonderful now that i've heard her lovely voice she said she's wonderful now that she's heard your lovely voice And Anna wouldn't treat me like that. She wouldn't throw me into the harbor. Marissa was asking if somebody were to have an open casket funeral, like, and requested to be naked, would they do it? And so I Googled it. And basically the answer is no, they won't do it. They will bury you naked. <laughs> oh, God. But um, I don't want to be buried naked. But I also, the other thing is that I want to be turned into a tree. I also want to be a tree. tell you something. Yes. If we have money... <laughs> I can do whatever the fuck you want. If we don't, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that I'm assuming that Abby and I have, have 
Okay, so Anna's determination. One, if we have money, she will follow my requests. Two, if we are broke, she's just going to yeet me into the Hudson. <laughs> Yay. Um, Would you throw Marissa's body in the Hudson? No. <laughs> Damn. I'm going to pull away from the microphone so I don't... I've been screaming in the listeners' ears the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, I was going to say, yes, I also want to be a tree. Um, And I'm pretty sure that you and I have an unofficial contract that you and I are not allowed to die. And, like, we have to hit, like, the 50-year mark on this podcast. Oh. We're gonna be doing this podcast for fifty years <laughs> until we're holograms. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> until we're holograms, and then what they'll be pod- able, they'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to, you know, um, tune in. No, not our- tune in. I was going to say they they would make us um, artificial intelligence where we would basically continue having conversations with our bodies having been dead. Cool. Okay. That that's what I'm going for. Sounds good. <laughs> Anyways, we hope you guys are doing well. <laughs> so how's everybody doing today? <laughs> We're clearly um, not okay. What you drinking? Um, I am drinking. Oh, you know what? That explains a lot. So I am almost finished with a caramel macchiato from uh, Starbucks with a four espresso shots in it. Four espresso shots. Yes, ma'am. Also, for those listening, um, Marissa does say espresso. It's okay. We still love her. We forgive her for her faults. Es- espresso. <laughs> Excuse me? Say it again. What were you saying? What was that? I mean, Ancestry.com says I'm like 24% Italian, so I can make fun. <laughs> don't come okay. for me please don't cancel me i also You're- i already canceled myself we're all good we're fine the italians have canceled you already marissa it's too late um spicy meatball <laughs> really bad also just wanted to 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 throw in there that um when i went to italy on not one but two occasions, did we hear native Italians say "Mamma Mia"? <laughs> you know, I don't think I, I actually heard anybody say that while I was over there. Um, but was- that is fucking brilliant, and I'm glad that you. Um, I'm really glad that you heard that. Um, yeah. um, the first time I didn't hear it. The second time it was. Like, the first time it was Evie that heard it. The second time it was me that heard it. So the second time, it was a guy that was walking fast, and he was really angry. And he was just like, Mamma Mia! (laughs) And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, how do you even, like, hear that and not bust out laughing? And then piss that guy off even more. Okay, let's get into it. Um, oh, I forgot to say what I'm drinking. Um, this is some pre-made cold brew again that I got from the store. This is stock. Ooh. Oh, I've had that before. Yeah, it's pretty good. I that like it. That shit slaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got 
uh, Cocoa Pebbles creamer in it again. So it just tastes like a nice. Please uh, give us other suggestions on drinks that we should try. Also, Abby and I have tried some new drinks, so we have to discuss. Oh, yes. I tried. Okay, so I need to talk about my experience with the Charlie. Okay. And the chocolate stout. I tried that as well. Oh, did you? Okay. One, I like the chocolate stout. Like you said, it just does have like a mocha-y uh taste but I did taste a little bit of the stout okay so I was going to say that I was like the second time I had it it had a very stouty almost yeasty taste to it kind of yeah it was like a slightly alcoholic type taste. yeah yeah that kind of put me off I was like eh, it's all right I drank the whole thing but I'm not gonna try it again now which one was the one that you got whipped cream instead of cold foam that was the charlie so okay because I was going to say I got the chocolate stout and then when I got the chocolate stout I suddenly realized that they put whipped cream instead of cold foam in mine because it started to get the like uh dairy particles like where it almost started to um like uh what's it called curdle yeah so um I was running real late for work in the morning and I ordered the Charlie and I went to go pick it up and they hadn't made it when I got there, but I had already called my Uber to come pick me up and take me to work. So I was freaking out. Like, I just need my coffee so I can go. And I watched the woman pull out a pink can, which as you know, the, 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 uh, cold it's foam. Bl- it's black, right? It's black. Yes, the cold foam. With the it's the same kind of can as a whipped cream can, but it's black. And she pulled out a pink can and just. And, and you I were watched. like, nope. <laughs> I was like, that's whipped cream. That's that would be whipped cream that she just yep. put right on top. Of yep. Um, and also at this particular Dunkin', when I do get cold foam, they put, um, they put like. They fill the coffee to like the halfway point and then half of it is the foam and it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, um, I actually noticed today when I went to Starbucks to get my drink that Starbucks, what they do is when they run out of it, they put like the heavy whipping cream and um, something, syrup. something else into it. And then they put it on like a blender and that's how they make your cold foam. Yeah. So I thought that that was interesting. But continue. What do you think about the Charlie? I mean, it wasn't made correctly. So I feel like my review <laughs> is like not, it's not official. Um, mm. But it was fine. Yeah. It was all right. It wasn't, there wasn't anything super special about it. It was good. It was caramelly and uh, it was coffee and I needed coffee. <laughs> um, yeah, I got the, I got the brown sugar oat milk cold brew from Starbucks and it was funny because I was with Erica one of my friends slash co-workers and um, now that I've finished my lovely drink um I ordered a venti of it mm-hmm. and I got it where it was filled to here and I was like that's not a- okay um I didn't really like it that much like it was okay but also at the same time, like, I'm not really a big fan of oat milk because it's it literally just tastes like the last couple drops of oatmeal. Like when you when you've made a bowl of oatmeal and there's like the last couple spoonfuls where it's just the liquid at the bottom. So it just tasted like I was eating oatmeal, but like not eating oatmeal. So I'm just 
I'm not really having it, but I can guarantee you right now, I'm feeling the rumblies from the lactose in my coffee. Hey. Hey, don't you love it? Love to see uh, lactose intolerancy. So I love, <laughs> I love, um, I, I like oat milk. I like it better than, um, than almond um, milk, but it has to be like, you know, blended really well. Mm. Otherwise it gets a little it chunky. Can, not chunky, but like grainy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Has but I, that oat graininess. Yeah. Um, but I do like oat milk. I think it's, I think it tastes creamier than almond milk. I think it tastes more um, like a milk consistency, yeah. I guess. No, I'm an almond milk kind of girl. Anyways, what are we discussing today, Abby? Mormonism. So we're going to talk about the new Netflix docuseries, Murder Among the Mormons, which um, I think Marissa and I were both really stoked to, to watch. And we are both really stoked to talk about it because it's going to be, it, well, it, I mean, it's a little bit conspiracy it's a little bit you know shady mystery religiony culty type stuff and as um, anyone who knows me i reject most religions so yeah it's it's uh i mean here's the thing about, here's the thing about <laughs> mormonism is that it just does not um mormonism i feel like doesn't hold as much weight uh, in terms of um, the validity as other religions do it's a new it's a newer religion because it's a newer religion um so i think it's i would also probably say it also plays a lot with how like being catholic and christian people can say is very controlling even some judaism and um being muslim uh but like i there's a lot of rules there's a lot of rules and uh mormons as I think some, I think I informed a whole bunch of people as of late that they were unaware that Mormons wear special underwear under their garments. Mm-hmm. Mormon underwear, yep. And uh, if you haven't looked it up, sure definitely look it up. Yeah, definitely look up Mormon underwear. Um, it's bizarre. And yeah, the, the, that's the thing is they have uh, really specific rules and they they are also very secretive about mm. their rules like they're you're not we aren't really supposed to know what the Mormon underwear looks like but <clears throat> it's a it's a I don't want I don't want to insult them by saying that it's not too far off from um Scientology yeah that's the thing is it reminds me of Scientology and that it's sort of um fantastical and has these really interesting <laughs> they and also and there's a lot of power and money there. I was going to say, there's a ton of money there. Um, really quickly, I'm just going to read the little beginning blurb from Wikipedia about Mormons. Okay. Um, so Mormons are a religious and cultural group related to Mormonism, the principal branch of the later day saint movement. I don't know why I had to say that Excuse in a the, southern the accent. The later day saint movement started by Joseph Smith in upstate Latter. New York. Whatever. Latter-day. I mean, okay, I take it back. Latter-day Saint movement. Not looking to insult anybody. It's not um, later days. Later days. Uh, later Latter-day days. Saint started by Joseph Smith in upstate New York during the 1820s. So like we said, relatively new. 
After Smith's death in, nine, in 1844, the movement split into several groups following different leaders, the majority followed by Brigham Young, while smaller groups followed Joseph Smith III, Sidney Rigdon, and James Strang. Most of these so small most of these smaller groups eventually coincide into the community of Christ. And the term Mormon typically refers to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. The Church of Jesus, the LDS. You can just call it LDS if you want. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm sure we've all seen commercials for, have you? You've never seen a commercial? The, the like, kindness, pass it on. A message from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You've never seen those? I don't think so. I also have really grown up in, like, Boston, which is very liberal. Um, and typically not very religious. And if we are very religious, we're typically more Catholic-driven. But um, I also grew up in a very Jewish community, even though I am not Jewish. <laughs> but yes, they are very interesting. Some things that Mormons have are called health codes. Um, so they are not allowed to have alcoholic beverages, tobacco, tea, coffee, um, excuse me, <laughs> and, addic and addictive substances. I wonder if... Um, Sugar falls under there, probably not. Um, and they tend to be very family oriented, have a strong connection across generations with extended family, reflective of their belief with that families can be sealed together beyond death. They also have a strict law of chastity requiring <laughs> abstinence from sexual relations outside of heterosexual marriage and fidelity within marriage. Um, though the community of Christ is accepting of LGBTQ individuals and relationships. They also self-identify <laughs> as Christians. This is also, again, what Wikipedia tells us. So um, there is also a lovely musical called The Book of Mormon. <laughs> and, okay, I um, literally cannot find. Wait, hold on. And typically they're known for, um, a lot of people are known for residing in the Utah area. Yep. So that's a big, uh, big area where they have a lot of, um, Mormons and, uh, they say in the beginning that it's like going back 10 years. Yep. When you. Yep. Very conservative, as you can imagine, um, there's also a certain branch of um, Mormons or Latter-day Saints that believe in polygamy, um, but that, but yeah, not but all of not, them fall under that. It's not everyone, and it's not. Um, it's really more. It's more the extremist sects, which like most most sects of Mormonism, I feel like are are pretty extreme. Uh, but yeah, um, one of my favorite things was I saw it pop up on TikTok the other day because uh, that's all I do with my time nowadays. Um, and one of the girls was saying that because first off, Utah is, if you didn't know, 
one of the leading users of Pornhub. <laughs> right. So that also has to do with the abstinence thing. Yep. Um, which I, I'm sure they're not allowed to look at porn either. Yep. But, um, but as would, Abby literally almost spit out of her coffee. I guess that would be seen as like a lesser of two evils kind of sitch. Yes. Um, uh, and also, uh, I have so Anna and I have come across recently. We've come across a bunch of um, Mormon TikTokers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've seen like a, a bunch of people who have left the Mormon Church talking about their experiences. And somebody was talking about how it's a really common phenomena in utah in that area for them to like grind each other in their underwear or whatever no what was the other no the other thing is when the guy just puts it in and they just lay still that's that's literally what i was about to say they said something like um like marinate not marinating but it was something like like uh it, it was something up that of literally the the man will put his penis inside of the woman's vagina and they just won't move because if if they move then it's sex but if they don't move then somehow it's not sex um for some reason but yeah so (laughs) the yeah I mean you can listen you can say all of this for all different kinds of religions we don't want to offend specifically any one person but um, we we know that that god doesn't recognize the butthole that's right. God's loophole. Uh, Gar- Garfunkel and Oates, one of the greatest parody songs of all time. Um, yeah. So that's also been showing up on my for you page a lot of people playing the song for their for their moms. Ass, ass, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the episode. Episode one. Um, we start off with. We start off with our man, our boy, our guy, Mr. Shannon. Yep. Um, who is Shannon dressed, Flynn. Mm-hmm. Shannon Flynn, who is dressed like he, uh, I don't know, is a, a banker in Mary Poppins. Oh my <laughs> like, God, dead ass. That's, you nailed it. You absolutely just nailed it. Also, I'm very interested in what happened to his voice because we hear, we hear – throughout it like old film footage of him talking in like a normal voice and either he had a really hoarse voice and couldn't push this interview off any further yeah or something happened to his vocal cords because he is very raspy my friend yeah he's very raspy it sounds like he's like most of his words most of his voice is like his breath not really a- it's like in a whisper he's like yes Oh, <laughs> we're just we're just coming for everyone today also he's he's not <clears throat> and i know that that sounds like an old person impression that i just did but he's no, not but that you old. nailed no he's not that old and you absolutely nailed that thank you um it, it just sounds so bizarre and then yes okay he's dressed like a banker from mary Poppins, and he looks like i don't know like it looks like he has like a pocket watch and a <laughs> He, and, kind, uh, he kind of also looks like something from like mm, like Mary Poppins but then also like maybe from the 1800s maybe I uh, I feel like it's more like early 1900s that he looks like he, he looks, looks like he could be someone's grandfather 
being like, sit up, sit up on my lap and I'll tell you a story. He's just dressed super fancy for this interview. It's like, so oh yeah, that's his, that's his get up. That's his, that's his look. And he's serving his he's aesthetic, serving. his aesthetic. So our boy, our boy Shannon Flynn is talking about, um, the history of, well, our boy Shannon Flynn and a couple other guys are just talking that there's a lot of characters that come into play. Oh They're my God, all, there's a ton. They are all old white men. So <laughs> if, if we don't for- remember all their names, it's fine. Yeah, could, um, we, could we quickly just say that not a single person of color has shown up in this? Nope, this is a, this is a white, white, white. <laughs> this is about as white as that salamander. So... <laughs> Let's get into I hate it. You. Let's get into it. So the they talk about oh the other guy, the guy with the big beard, that old white man. I really like his vibe. Good, so, good to know. The like oh. bigger guy with the, the Santa beard. Yeah, I like his vibe. So he talks okay. about how when you like land in Utah, it's like, oh, set your clock back 10 years, because Utah's very conservative, very traditional, and big population of Mormons up there, as we said. And he also talks about how this story, this whole murder among the Mormons story is basically a treasure hunt, um, a treasure hunting story. And he says in all treasure hunting stories, uh, the treasure is found and then something bad happens and then the treasure is lost again, which mm-hmm. is kind of what happens here. Um, <clears throat> yep. So we start off in Salt Lake City in the 1980s. We get a little subtitle that says five years before the bombing. Um, Salt Lake City, uh, as Abby said, very conservative. Um, And we kind of jump into the history of Mormonism. Um, So as I mentioned before, Joseph Smith supposedly had been told by an angel in upstate New York, I guess. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. He was told by an angel to go walk into the woods and find these golden plates and write down what was on the golden plates. And that is like the, almost like the equivalent of the 10 commandments. The church, as Abby says, is the called the church of Latter-day Saints, but they're very often referred to as the LDA throughout. LDS. LDS. I don't know why I put the A. It's a typo. It's okay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the, they show like a, I don't know if this is like a Mormon video that shows like the history of Mormonism. They show the angel coming down and presenting Joseph Smith with telling Joseph Smith to like lift up a stone. There he finds the golden plates, which contain the Book of Mormon, which is basically just like um, revamped Christianity. So it, it looks like a video that they would play for you at, at, at Sunday school while your parents yeah. were often in church and you're like, yeah. what am I here for? I absolutely, uh, I absolutely need to ask Hannah about, about these videos. I also need to ask her about Celestial Pursuits. Oh, yes. I, um, I would yes. say let's play it, but we'll get everything wrong. We'll get every question wrong. But yeah, so uh, Shannon Flynn starts out by talking about how he, um, well, they, they start, they talk about how a lot of the, in the 70s and 80s, um, a lot of documents started coming up, like old Mormon documents started to be found again. And that created just this really big interest in finding historical documents related to Mormonism, especially in that area. Um, but there was a big boom for it. It was a big, like, there was a lot of money in that, finding these documents, selling them. 
<clears throat> and so these were these were the treasures, you know, these documents, this historical record of Joseph Smith and the beginning of Mormonism and all this stuff. Um, so Shannon Flynn talks about how he became a dealer in this. Um, he became like a part of the uh, this community that was interested in these documents. And he, through that, uh, like, desire to find these documents, he was introduced to a man named Mark Hoffman. And Mark Hoffman, he had started to kind of get a name for finding, like, a lot of old documents, especially um, within the Mormon church. Um, he had supposedly found one of the oldest documents ever written by Joseph Smith. Um, we get introduced to Dory Hoffman, his wife, mm -hmm. and she had said that she had uh, gone into a Bible that he's, um, that <laughs> Mark had. I just had to edit. I wrote Bibble uh, <laughs> in my notes. The Holy Bibble. <laughs> Holy Bibble. Um, so Mark Hoffman had a Bible. Dory was looking through the Bible um, and finds this like sappy substance and within it finds this letter that was written um, and it, it helped to validate the religion of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. um, and then we meet Brent Metcalf, Metcalf, another collector. Literally everyone I probably, Abby and I will list will likely be a collector. And I just <laughs> want you to picture, and I just want you to picture um, for all of these men, older white men, with very little hair, um, most of them are bald. So ninety percent of men <laughs> in, their little, in their little church suits, yep. the little business, their little beige business suits. Mm. Uh, I like Brent. Brent. Brent seemed like a really nice guy. Brent is not the one that was not wearing a suit. No, right? he was very he was casual. Little, little button down. Yeah, um, he looks yeah. like he he looks like he would get along for, with our parents. I don't I know why. Feel I feel bad. I feel <laughs> bad for Brent because Brent Brent went through a lot. Just yeah, he, you can um, tell the poor guy has a lot of trauma. Yeah, um, he almost he cries a little bit in this. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so he's another collector who got into collecting because of Mark Hoffman. He had seen in this newspaper article that Mark had been surrounded by major heads of the Latter Day Saints. Um, church Brent's job um, specifically working with Mark was to look at lineages of relatives who might have these really desired documents and objects um, and so that's that's Brent introduced into the story mm -hmm. and uh, sort of all of a sudden Mark starts coming up with more and more documents, books, and he starts becoming, this starts becoming his career. Um, he starts selling and trading or dealing, I guess, <laughs> um, is what they call him. And he starts dealing these documents and becoming a collector. Um, and it's not just Mormon documents as well. He starts looking for um, like, documents for the founding fathers and like all kinds of historical documents so he just he becomes sort of a um a big player in the the historical documents game but and i also attached to this because i knew that abby needed to discuss celestial celestial pursuit <laughs> so take it away abby 
And then they also, well, so they talk a little bit about how Mark is just kind of like, he he has this job that's like he's Indiana Jones. He finds these hidden treasures, but he's also just kind of a huge nerd. He has a really great memory. He knows a lot about history, especially Mormon history. And I think, it, is it Shannon or, Br- no, it's Brent that's talking about how he went to Mark. No, it Mark- was Shannon. It's Shannon. Oh, Shannon. Shannon's talking about how he was at Mark's house and they played Celestial Pursuit, which is the Mormon version of Trivial Pursuit. And Mark got every single question correctly. He did not miss a single beat. He did not miss a single thing. He is like a big nerd for history and Mormon history specifically. Now, I've got to ask. How entertaining do you think this game is? Because it literally sounds like Bible study to me. Yeah, so actually reminds me that when I was um, a little kid, my cousin, um, her parents are very, very religious. And um, I would these the ones Are these the ones who went to go build Noah's Ark? Yes. (laughs) So they worked on the the fucking Ark down in... (laughs) Anyway, they... they... Long story. Anyways... (laughs) there so uh this cousin who's also um (laughs) my cousin who i was very close with as a kid and close with growing up she um was only allowed to play like certain games and and allowed to have certain toys and items or whatever so she had this computer game that was called do you know jesus and it was it was literally just bible trivia and you would get scored on on your your answers to the questions it was a computer game and it, and um it would come you would, when you plugged it in it would come on with this like when you put it into the the disc into the computer it would come in with this big booming voice do you know jesus we will soon find out and then <laughs> very intense and then you would just have to answer all these Bible trivia questions that I never knew any of them, but she knew all of them because she played that game so much. You know what? I'm really glad that my parents are not religious. Right? I'm right? really... <laughs> right? Like, oh my God. Majority of my childhood was Harry Potter games and Arthur, a talking anteater. So like, thank God. <laughs> the only games that she really like was allowed to play on the computer was that game and um, Minesweep where you... <laughs> and solitaire so minesweep was the one where you like you had to pick the block and it not explode okay oh so the ones that came with the computer cool yes anyways and that jesus game that's it that's it you know jesus anyways uh brent the big booming scary voice and then if you got it wrong the thing would the thing would be like you don't know jesus (laughs) oh so just Scare, scare the kids into being religious. Cool. Yes. Brett Matkoff, uh, he uh, explains that he came across a book. It became a lightning rod for the heads of the LDS, feeling that the material was damaging to the church and that Brent would sell it. They worried that he would sell it. And so they fired him. Um, which I was like, poor Brent. Right, and he wouldn't say what was in this book. Yeah, he didn't even say what was in the book. Um, Just while he was working, he was working in, um, like, he was working for the Church of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, within uh, the security. He was working in the archives, like, specifically, and Mm -hmm. one day he 
came across this book and it had information that was damaging to the church which reminds me of um of how like like i like i just mentioned the noah's ark thing the creationist museum that built the noah's ark they also buy artifacts that prove um the existence of things like evolution that go against the god the god's teaching and things like that so they can hide them or and, and again i think if as a religion and this is coming from someone who is not religious so like whatever um but if you as a religion have to buy documents that go against your religion to destroy or keep them from the public that means that your religion doesn't really hold a lot of weight yeah you know yep so uh they were so they so the mormons are really driven by history and wanting to keep a lot of documents as abby said mostly to uh control the narrative of the religion yeah, they want to they want to preserve the stories that currently exist and mm -hmm. if something goes against those stories it's a very big deal so they will buy up that um they will buy up that information or buy up those documents that go against um the the teachings of the mormon church so that yeah. they can hide them from especially because <laughs> as we mentioned before there's a lot of money that goes into mm -hmm. the mormons um, and so they had mentioned at one point, Brent said like, but what do you do when documents exist that can destroy someone's faith? Um, and so, oh no, sorry. Go ahead. You're good. Um, so that's when 1983 comes around and Mark shows Shannon Flynn the salamander letter and mm -hmm. asks Flynn to take photographs of the letter. And now, Abby, what is, yes, yes, but. Abby, what is the Salamander Letters? So the Salamander Letter is a letter from Martin Harris, right? Uh, um, yes. Or is it is a letter a letter from Martin Harris, who's a big, his, like a big person in the Mormon history, mm. telling the story of how Joseph Smith found the golden plates. Um, as we know from what we just explained, um, the story of the golden plates it has been that an angel led Joseph Smith to the golden plates. This story says that a spirit in the form of a white salamander is who leads Joseph Smith <laughs> to the, for listeners, Marissa just did a little, I don't know, salamander dance, um, <laughs> is who leads Joseph Smith to the documents. So it says, or who leads Joseph Smith to the golden plates. So that goes against the Mormon teachings. That goes against the known history of the Mormon church. It, um, it also kind of plays like a whole mythical folklore because right. at, at least they don't really most... believe in, they don't really believe in, um, you know, animals uh, as spiritual beings or, any, or, or like in that type guides. of guides. Like, yeah, they're like, they oh, it makes more sense to them that angels would go and do something. Right. When you introduce a mythical creature of some sort. Um, also, because, you know, it actually does make sense. If they don't believe in evolution, then having an albino salamander doesn't really make much sense either. Um, yeah. So I guess that that plays a role into it. But basically, like, if you if you take a less, if you take a creature such as a salamander it's less serious and thus it doesn't hold much weight, mm -hmm. especially if they identify themselves as like following under Christian values and whatnot. Right. 
And Mark would not tell anybody um, where he got that letter, um, but that wasn't really unusual because like it was kind of a, a secretive business because it was such a lucrative. Yeah, because it was so lucrative, you kind of had to be secret about your sources so that you could get the most money or the most mm -hmm. deals or whatever. Um, and so Mark Hoffman starts finding <clears throat> even more. Um, he, like he is finding a ton of these documents all of a sudden. And um, which I'm just thinking the entire time as we're going through this and we'll we'll later find out um, as we go throughout it. But um I'm like, how, why didn't anyone back then sit down and say, you know, it's really strange that this person is finding so many documents. Like he's coming across as like Nicolas Cage in like national treasures. We're gonna Where are you, independence. where are you finding all of this stuff? Yeah, so like, it's really bizarre. Um, Brent says he saw the letters um, from Mark Hoffman and that he said that Mark Hoffman was showing around these letters to people just in case um, the church was going to go and like deny the existence of those letters. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then we get introduced to Stephen Christensen, who is a businessman and collector um, who was a really big believer in, in intellectual transparency but he was um, also a Mormon as well. Right? He also was a Mormon, but he, you know, he saw benefit in sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in all of the, all of the different types of documents, even if they weren't, even if they were contradictory to each yes. other. Yes, and so Steve um, really saw issues of inconsistencies throughout these documents. Um, he wanted to first make sure that they were real, um, that it was confirmed to be authentic uh and then he was willing to sell the document for forty thousand dollars mm -hmm. um and this dumped no drummed <laughs> drummed up a concern for the church um they the head of the church shared the document but argued that it could have been a forgery back then like maybe somebody in like the 1830s was like oh i'm gonna create this document to really fuck over the church um right. so that like it could be dated as being real but also like you know um uh, contradictory information um and this was when they were kind of sharing that like the salamander i thought this quote was interesting so i included it but someone was like saying that it was the white salamander was saying that Noah, you know, got the, not Noah, but who, who doesn't matter. It doesn't okay. Matter. The, the, the 10 commandments were brought to someone from the ghost of Elvis Presley, which I was like, that makes absolutely no sense. Cause Elvis Presley was a real person. Well, but it, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's like, it's just like saying that something like a dragon brought them. Okay, or but you... Elvis Presley was a real person who did not live in the 1800s. So saying that Elvis, the ghost of Elvis Presley. Are you saying that biblical times is the 1800s? No, but no, but I'm saying that this is, <laughs> this is when 
Like, you know what I'm trying to say, but I know what you're trying to say. Elvis Presley was a real person. Okay, but it was just it was just saying it was just saying it was like very bizarre and fantastical and didn't no, it. no, because he could have said a dragon, he could have said a unicorn, he could have said a number of different things, but he said Elvis Presley. Okay, the king of rock and roll. Oh my god. Okay, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Um, suddenly many people were having a crisis of faith, um, and Steve decided to donate the documents to LDS church. Abby is so done with me right now. She's like, (laughs) why did she have to have the four shots of espresso? Um, espresso. Um, and he wrote in a letter to the president of the church that it appears that dealing in Mormon documents can be a dangerous business, which is a big foreshadowing. Yes, it is. So then we get to August 1985. We have Alvin Rust, who is another another dealer of historical documents. He meets <laughs> Not a drug dealer. <laughs> another drug dealer um, meets Mark Hoffman. Mark Hoffman... Um, noticed that this guy alvin enjoy like enjoyed collecting um mormon money which i didn't know that that i didn't know that was a thing either um but he enjoyed collecting mormon money an old mormon money so then all of a sudden he started um bringing those those things to him and these these rare finds that would be really good for his collection so they developed a, a close working relationship from that um and then uh, Alvin is all of a sudden approached by Mark Hoffman saying he found the world's largest collection so far of L- LDS documents, but can't afford to purchase it. And he needs a loan of $185,000. So um, Alan gives him the money and he purchases this collection. And this collection had multiple documents, uh, had a bunch of diaries known as the McClellan collection, which, um, again, go against the teachings of the Mormon church by saying that it was not Joseph Smith that found the golden plates, but it was Joseph Smith's brother. And it was like in the form of a letter that um, Joseph Smith's wife had sent to somebody. So it was for the um, for the the church. So uh, Stephen Christensen was appointed by someone to go uh, by someone within the church to go with Hoffman to get the documents and bring them, and they were going to sell them to the church for $300,000. But they told Alan to not share that information, that that was a secret. And that's when we go back to Shannon, who says the the kind of awful foreshadowing statement that... Um, that anyone that who's ever like, watched Pretty Little Liars knows. Yeah, um... <laughs> Because two can keep a keep secret, secret if one of them is dead. So, uh, yeah, he's like, well, there's this old saying that the only way to keep a secret between between two people is if one of them is dead. So, which I mean, isn't wrong. It's true. Um, and then we get sure. to <laughs> then we get to October fifteenth, nineteen eighty five, which I was like, kind of a little shocked by the news anchors saying one of them was like the horror that we only hear about in the Middle East and Northern Ireland. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I know, I was like, what why? Ireland? 
Oh, well, that was during the the um, the war, the civil war within Ireland of um, the different religions and why they put up a wall and stuff. No, never heard of nope. that. Not a clue. Cool. Anyways, um, US education system has failed me. Okay. Uh, I watch I watch Dairy Girls on Netflix. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, they put up a wall between Northern Ireland and uh, the rest of Ireland. Northern Ireland specifically still aligns with uh, the Church of England and mm-hmm. the rest of Ireland wanted to be its own independent. So, ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Anyways, so um, a bomb went off within an office building. Um, they say that w- there is one male fatality, um, and this turns out to be Steve Christensen, who was killed by a. Package. Anna just farted really loud, and then okay, when I well, looked no over one her, heard. I did, <laughs> and then when I looked over at her, all she did was smile at me, <laughs> and now she's giggling to herself. Okay, she's um, very proud of herself. Keep going. I'm, I'm glad. Um, so, uh, let me reaffirm that somebody died. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> Sorry, somebody died, but Anna farted. Um, <laughs> so Steve Christensen was killed by a package bomb. You couldn't have waited until after I said it. No, keep going. Okay, Randy Rigby, um, his business partner, was running late to a meeting with Christensen. The bomb happens. Um, he kept calling to be like, hey, I'm going to be late. Hey, I'm going to be late. Um, and then Randy runs into the building. No one stops him. Yeah, I don't, I don't and know I how was that like. Happened. Is this just like the 80s type of thing in like like a city small town that was like, oh, yeah. let's just allow people to trample through the crime scene. But um, and then we hear about a second explosion a couple hours later, if not within the same hour of Kathy Sheets, who died in a second blast. The package intended for her husband, Gary Sheets. Um, who had worked with Steve Christensen as an old business partner slash boss. Um, So there were two bombs and now there is a serial killer. Um, And this is no longer just an anomaly. This is that several people, um, several more people can be harmed. Um, A lot of people at first believed that it was a mad investor with the company that they oversaw and that someone had got a hit out on them. Um, and then suddenly people realized that it was more likely to do with the LDS salamander letters. Right. So then we get to October 16th, 1985. There was an anonymous call put in saying that there was a total of four bombs. Um, so Mark Hoffman, of course, was really scared because he was kind of in the middle of this. Um, He was told to leave his family. His wife specifically was like, this is dangerous and I don't think you should be around our family right now um, because she didn't want them getting hurt as well. And uh, people pretty quickly, even though it was supposed to be a secret, it was pretty quickly revealed that um, that these murders were related to the McClellan uh, collection, which of course um, would make Mark Hoffman like the ideal target. Yep. Um, so it's very it's very scary. And then all of these other like all of these other men who were dealing with the collections talk about how the police were just like stay away from your family um, so that they don't get hurt. Uh, like don't like go into hiding. Basically go into hiding. Don't like 
you're not safe. Um, because they had no idea what was going to happen. And it's it was unusual for the... Obviously, it's unusual for these, like, package bombs to be, like, found and, and to, to have this happening. So I'm assuming that this was before the Unabomber. I think... Yes, sure. I'm going to say yes. Look it up. All right, so... Um, Mark Hoffman was supposed to pass the McClellan collection to Steve Christensen at 10 a.m., but he had called to cancel uh, on the day of the bombings, but he had called to cancel saying he was going to come at uh, 2 p.m. And uh, and the church, they were also supposed to be with the church at that time. Like, there was supposed to be an official from the church that they were meeting with. And the, the church official, um, I think it was Alvin that said, like, he called the church and the church was like, hey dude um like where are you guys <laughs> we were supposed to deal we were supposed to do this this deal right now um mark hoffman's car then was blown up as well so there was another a third um bombing he was inside of the car um and they didn't know at first that there was a connection. They just knew that a bomb had gone off. And so uh, Brent Metcalf was uh, trying to go to Ho- Mark Hoffman's house. Nobody was answering the door. And then he starts hearing the news that there was another bombing. And he hears the the car, um, the like make and model of the car. And he's like, oh my God, that's Mark's car. So he runs up to the scene and he tells them, I know this person. And they ask him, you know, what's your name? He tells them his name and they take him to the, the police. That's when the police take him to the side and they say, we have strong reason to believe that somebody is going to kill you or going to try to kill you. Um, so really quickly, uh, interjection, um, mm-hmm. Ted Kuzinski was responsible for bombings between 1978 and 1995, including in Utah. Oh, okay. So I don't know why they say the Middle East. When clearly it's not unheard of, but sure, whatever. Um, it's that anyways. xenophobia. Uh, for yes, me. Um, it's the xenophobia for me. It's the xenophobia for me. Um, so, uh, yeah. So this is um. Now we get Dory's perspective, the wife of Mark Hoffman, talking about when she got the call that he had been blown up, and um how like he was pretty he was pretty severely injured he lost fingers he lost some fingers in the blast he was in critical condition um there was witnesses who saw him like actually like right after the explosion happened who said that he had like holes in his legs and um she says getting in the hospital like there was like glass all over his face like he was really messed up from this he was in critical condition as a heads up to people if you were squirmy like i am Oh, they and you're show watching a lot of- this. They show his fingers blown off, and I was like, yeah, "Oh my god, bad. I'm gonna vomit." <laughs> um, so bad. just just be aware that when you get into the end of the episode, that like if you're squeamish, look away. There is no warning, by the way. It's nasty AF. So then, um, they pretty quickly are able to make the connection between um, this and the other the other bombings, and they are really 
they're quickly able to determine that this is related specifically to these documents, the McClellan collection. And I believe the McClellan collection was found in his car. Yeah, so some of the diaries were found in the trunk of the blown up car. And I mean, you see like glasses on the ground and like a whole, just tons of debris. Um, and uh, so they say like someone who had to be within the Latter-day Saints, I keep spelling it wrong. I keep saying LSD, not <laughs> LSD. <laughs> um, is that a Latter-day Saints? Um, who knew what, like it had to be someone who knew what was happening or someone having a crisis of faith who knew about these documents who started to target these people in order for them not to be shared. And that's the end of episode one. Right. So then we enter into episode two and we are introduced to, we're finally introduced to a um, investigator. Uh, Which I have a lot of thoughts about Gary. <laughs> Gary's a weird guy. Gary's a, Gary's a bizarre man. Um, so he is somebody who moved to Utah to ski in 1974 after getting kicked out of college with a 0 0.6 GPA. I don't you really know. have to try hard to get a 0 0.6 GPA. You really do. Because and then like, we know people who dropped out with like really low, who never went to class and all these things. And those people still had like one. Yeah, exactly. Like one point, like one point whatever GPA. But then I'm also kind of like, sir, if you got kicked out of college because you were undesirable, why are you a homicide prosecutor? Yeah. <laughs> For the arson team. Like, yeah. not to be that way, but I feel like you should be more invested in schoolwork if that is what your career of choice is and you also, are how, responsible are for hiring? putting people in jail. Why are they hiring this guy that got kicked out of college? And I mean, I'm assuming that in 1974 slash 1980s that you didn't need to have high degrees slash a college degree to get most jobs I don't know I guess so so then and then um, he also says he says the one thing I could say about that day is that it was a beautiful day for a bombing yeah, Gary so <laughs> Gary <laughs> what the fuck so, so yeah so then we yeah it's very bizarre um so he talks about his own perspective of the the bombings um as a as an outsider of the mormon, mormon church, church. <laughs> so which i was like first, good yeah this is the first perspective that we get that is not a mormon perspective of this situation or unbiased in this case um yeah. gary went to see everything he said he wanted to really go look at the scene to give he a mental impression he describes it real casually he's like real okay, i went up saw this bomb scene saw this dead guy on the floor he's got his chest blown open we were like <laughs> anna was like what the fuck did you just say i was like this man has a lot of trauma clearly um and, and like, then and i go to the house see the wife she's blown up no, no. <laughs> like, and you're just like huh? gary Gary, you good? He's Gary, describing it so chill. He's like super chill, super cash. Oh my like, god! And you're hearing, and you're, no and you're hearing Brent and stuff, and Brent's getting like teary eyed, being like, "Oh my god!" Like I was so upset. Like and Gary's like, "Yeah, chest blown open here, chest blown open there." <laughs> like whatever. Um, so within the hour of him being at the crime scene um, for Christensen, 
he hears about um, Sheets. So he heads over there. Now he explains that um, they're getting nervous. They have no suspects. There's a serial killer on the loose. Um, the next day, the 16th, Gary had no idea. He's like, I had no idea about Mormonism, about church, about documents, which I'm like, how are you in Utah and haven't heard of it? But sure. Um, yeah, I didn't know this shit. This is crazy. <laughs> um, he's like, uh, then they explain the story of an, how an onlooker ran over to Hoffman's, noticed that he was a part of the Latter-day Saints and commanded him to live with his oil. Just yeah, he put some special anointed oil on him and commanded him to live and commanded medical attention to get there quickly. I was like, that's great, but also CPR, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, and then Gary... You know, maybe maybe, maybe putting some, some fabric over his wounds, something. Checking you know, his airways, you know. No, no, we're just going to oil him. And okay, all right, sounds good. Um, so Gary <laughs> started to learn now about the documents and the collections. The church was in play, and that something really was wrong. He was mm -hmm. like, "Does something doesn't feel right?" Alan Rust reaffirms that the later day saint intended to buy the documents, um, which we said he initially was told not to tell anybody. Um, and the no, church denies this. Yes. And there are no documents of intended sale. Right. So the church, I believe the church said that this was not intended to be purchased, but intended to be donated. Right. Yes, exactly. So they're saying like, oh, he was going to give us the documents, but he was going to donate them. He was not going to, we were not going to buy them for $300,000. Because the, they don't want to, they don't want to be drawn into anything of being maybe the cause of. They don't want to be implicated. Yeah. And especially since these, that would, if they were being bought for $300,000, that would make these documents worth a lot of money which might you know people people murder for a lot of Lots. money is a bi <laughs> money is a big motive for murder so oh yeah um so as, that's we, they were as we find out later um so that's why they were trying to distance themselves from it um uh it also like the church all of the documents that they have collected had never been touched or seen by anyone outside of the church Mm -hmm. um so i also think that they didn't want to be involved in it because they didn't want anyone getting warrants to go into their collection pretty mm -hmm. much either um yeah. so a lot of people didn't want it revealed in the church um which could be a motive um and then we have a transition into the hoffman family video right so then we're introduced to mark hoffman's family and we get a little history on mark hoffman and they're um, so we a little crazy <laughs> They're a little crazy. They're very strict Mormons. Um, everything in their life is focused on Mormonism. Um, it's really the center of their family. It's the center of everything. Um, the Mark's father was very strict, a very strict Mormon. And there's like a story that they, that someone, I forget who tells it, that that one night, um, you know, he comes over to Mark's house and he sees that his kids are reading books, have like kids books about dinosaurs. And he gets really upset because that promotes evolution. <laughs> and we can't can't be having that, can we? So <laughs> that must be such a sad world to live in that you can't even let children play around with dinosaurs, either yeah, mythically or evolutionarily, but whatever. It's um, Yeah. Um, and so, uh, this is, they also kind of say that like 
this was a time period where if your views differed from your parents' views, you didn't share it. Like nowadays we're like TikTok, like, oh, I'm going to tell you what I feel. This is why you're wrong. This was like, you basically shut up, pretend to be the perfect child. And then when your parents aren't looking, do what you want to do. And that's when we see his mission trip to Manchester, England in 1974, Mark went on a mission trip. And as they said, a lot of times when you are sent on these mission trips away from your family, the first time seeing the world, um, these are big times um, when you question your faith, which kind of reminds me of, um, oh my gosh, what is it called? Um, Oh my God, Pennsylvania. Amish? Yes, the Amish when they go on their Springer? Yes, exactly. Um, so this Pennsylvania. Is- <laughs> Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? Amish people. They have their like, you know, just dis- decisional, like, oh, we have exposure to the world. We're gonna decide whether we want to follow in our parents' footsteps or not. But mission trips aren't really that's not really the purpose. Um, but so while he was there, Mark started going to a lot of bookstores because you know. England has a lot of history and thus a lot of historical documents. Um, So Mark quickly saw that he could identify important books in a bookstore based on the color, the binding, so on and so forth. He had a knack for it. Um, And he was first exposed to a lot of anti-Mormon pamphlets um, and started to do his own research on the opposing uh, opposing side of Mormonism, really questioning himself he even asks, is it, do you believe in lying for the Lord? And even was paranoid enough to have a box that he kept where he would write his name across the sealed tape so that he would know if someone opened it up with all of the documents that he had um, that was against Mormonism. So there's already this like weird underlying thing going on with Mark. Right. So then we head back to 1985 after the bombing. Um, We're back with our boy, Gary. He talks about, um, he talks about the uh, investigation going on, how they have a conference room where they can kind of bounce ideas off of each other. All the investigators, they call it the war room. Um, And they are kind of questioning everybody because they don't really have leads to go on. So they, Uh, suspect Brent at first. Brent was questioned 13 times. He passes a lie detector. They question Alan, who was the guy who, the coin collector who said, um, said he like knew that the thing was going to be bought for $300,000. And pretty slowly they, they start to, you know, check people off the sub, the suspect list uh, until they, until they get to Shannon Flynn. So our, our, real fancy boy Shannon who is uh he gets really defensive and nervous and upset being asked questions about these about the events and and this is in like modern time and I immediately I I watched this already but it was the second time that all of a sudden I noticed that his left eye 
No, his left eye literally, he goes like that the entire time. He's just like twiddling his thumbs. But when they ask him these questions, his, his left eye literally keeps blinking and he keeps going. Yeah. And I'm like, he's getting um, real stressed just being asked about this. So he talks, but like, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I would have been too. Right. If you're a suspect in a multiple murder um, and, you know, one attempted murder because we have Mark Hoffman, who's still alive. um, uh, If you're a suspect in those things, then like that's 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 uh, upsetting, especially if you didn't do it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And that's going to especially like years of having to deal with that. It's going to trigger a lot of um, physical symptoms. But so he says he was interviewed for hours, including um, that people were suspicious of how much he knew because of how close he was to Hoffman. Um, They also mentioned how he was skilled with a butterfly knife, which they show him and they show him like walking out, like with a briefcase doing his like butter, like an actor doing a butterfly knife thing. Yeah, they do some recreations, some dramatic recreations, which are really funny. Just the, the... honestly the lamest nerdiest white guy shit you could do of the butterfly knife walking out getting into this really stupid blue car driving really fast and then also saying he got an uzi he's got an uzi and um a fucking machine gun for what reason does this old mormon man need a machine gun he's well a, he wasn't i guess when he had it but he, for what he's reason? a guy he's a white guy i'm sorry but as i'm watching this with the butterfly knife i immediately was like my ex-boyfriend carried around a butterfly a knife, butterfly knife. Yeah. and i was like back then i was like wow this is so cool and now i look back on it, i'm like wow you're a fucking nerd <laughs> Like, wow, this is so weird and uncomfortable that you care. But it's like, but it's why? Why? But it's unnecessary. But anyway, so Shannon gets charged with possession of an unregistered machine gun. Um, And then also they go into his house and find the the anarchist cookbook, which shows you how to make a bomb, which advice to anybody, if you're going to commit a crime, don't have the arsonist cookbook. The, the anarchist cookbook don't have that and don't don't have an uzi just no don't. just how about just don't make do a crime just don't, don't do a crime don't do a crime don't own um an illegal weapon and don't own the anarchist cookbook because yeah those are just all real bad signs advice so, sponsored to you by crimes while caffeinated um yep. so shannon our boy is uh charged federally um, and then he's asked to do a lie detector test. One of the highest scores you can get on like the truthfulness scale is a 14. He gets a 12. Um, and so um, w- we we know that Shannon is at least either very capable of beating a lie detector test or he's very innocent and just sadly is in the wrong place at the wrong time thinking he's really cool and just not what he's pretending to be. And he was like, what did he say about owning the Uzi? He was like, for two Mormons in Utah. It was the most dangerous thing. Yeah, like that was the most dangerous thing we could do. I'm like, actually having an Uzi anywhere at any time is still a real dangerous thing to do, my guy. So, um, (laughs) 
Uh, meanwhile, we have Mark Hoffman, who is starting to recover from his uh, bombing injuries. Um, and then we have a witness who was there on the day of the bombing of Steve Christensen, which uh, Steve Christensen is the first bombing victim. Um, so someone says uh, he had seen a man enter the building with a varsity, um, like a like a green athletic jacket. Um like a letterman jacket, but it had no letters on it. Yep. And the guy was clean shaven. He had a package in his hand for a man that the guy didn't know. And then um Well, so he said that um he was going to the a floor that the guy didn't know, but supposedly he said he saw oh, Steve the- Steve Christensen written across the box, which I was like, okay. That's just yeah, so now we have this witness statement, and then um, Brent sees the news, sees that this is, like, the the suspect, and, and he knows that Mark Hoffman wore a green Letterman jacket. So a search warrant is written, um, executed for Mark Hoffman's home, um, right after, pretty much right after he's released from the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. And we also, meanwhile, we're also seeing the footage of the funerals, um, footage of the funerals for the other victims at the same time like they keep going back and forth between showing like mark being taken out mark being welcomed home and then in between people crying and mourning the loss of these these people it's a very interesting director like choice yes (laughs) um so then we so then we go to dory the mark hoffman's wife um she's she was saying that you know she initially was just like happy to have him home she wasn't really suspecting anything or feeling any type of way um and uh but she could tell that something was bothering mark or something was up something was wrong and that's but i mean back then like if your husband survived a bombing where two other people (laughs) died like i i would assume that that's normal behavior to be bothered right you know I did think it was really interesting. They come out and they put caution tape up and it's reusable caution tape. And I was like, huh, why don't we have that anymore? But anyways, <laughs> sorry, I just needed no, to put no, that so in there. Okay. So then they execute the warrant. They do, they don't find any kind of, um, uh, anything to do with bombs or making bombs, but they do find the green letterman jacket. But then they're asking, you know, what is the motive here? Um, it's definitely, which like, it almost looks bad on him that he lived and he's a suspect because then it looks like, okay, well, he knew that there was a bomb, so he planted it to make himself look innocent. And then he, you know. Which, I mean, like, I was thinking to myself, with us knowing what happens at the end, I was like, to make a bomb and blow yourself up to throw suspicion like, you've got to have a lot of balls and a lot to lose, dude. Not yeah. not only to, like, kill two people, but to literally blow yourself up and hope that you don't die in the process. Holy shit. Or maybe, maybe like, their thought is that he was thinking he would die and then it would he wouldn't have to deal with any consequences if it was him. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. So, there was... In their search, they were able to find more 
of Mark Hoffman's home in the search of Mark Hoffman's home, they're able to find more documents that they want to be looked that they want looked at um, because they were relating to other business deals that um, Mark Hoffman was going to do or had done. So they were, yeah, they were looking into all this. And so we go back in time to New York City, 1984. Um, he had gone to this bookstore and had found The Oath of a Free Man, which is one of the first printed materials in colonial America. And I know that Abby really wants to share her little snippet of uh, personal. I, I've been to that bookstore. <laughs> Did, I, have, I mean, I was going to say you probably are like, oh, I've been to that bookstore now. Would you re-go back knowing? Sure. Why not? <laughs> I, don't know. I, I really honestly when the pandemic reopens we should just run around New York City and go to all of the places that like crimes had happened or people had gone to which so, is yeah, literally I, everywhere in New York City True. so I went so yeah I've been to that bookstore it was like four years ago um and we went it like it was this so this was before I lived here and um we just I was visiting Cassidy with Hannah and um Hannah had seen this bookstore and was like oh this looks cool this little antique bookstore let's go in and explore so we went in and explored it is really cool inside it's very aesthetic like aesthetically pleasing yeah it's like a cute little antique bookstore and cute little um with with cute little uh like lamps yeah, like cute little lamps and and um it looks you know. like you're walking back in time almost like in um it smells like you're walking back in time, I can tell you that. Ooh. Um, um it but like must. Must and mothballs and probably yeah. molds. Um smells really great in there. I remember that. So <laughs> so everything about the oath of a free man felt right, like the paper texture felt right, the ink looked right. Um it just was a matter of getting it tested to make sure that it was actually authentic, um, as well as uh, one of the talking heads and Mark had decided that they were going to go halvesies on um, the the um, oath of a free man for one point five million dollars if it was authentic. Which is real generous of of him to say, yeah. "Oh, we'll go half and half on the profit," which also almost seems sketchy sus um that seems real that's real sus mark so then um yeah so then while while they're in new york city uh they go out to a bar one night and they're out drinking and um you know as we know that's not a mormon thing to do uh yeah that's really not a mormon thing to do uh and that he apparently this was a thing that mark would do he yeah would be, shannon tells us this story yeah shannon tells us that mark would well he, he used to tell people oh i can't get drunk it's impossible for me to get drunk which is not a thing and so he would just do a ton of shots and then puke it all back up and <laughs> um which i've got to think if is he just spacing it well enough throughout the dinner that when he gets home that like it hasn't hit him yet because they they say that he he said that they said that he gets up and like he'll walk and do like a whole bunch of stuff 
but I've I've sat there for like an hour and ha- have had two drinks and I'm a fucking lightweight and I drink more often than a Mormon. Right. So, I mean, but we don't know if that's, we don't know how much Mark drank. You know, we don't know if Shannon is just also like building up this story to oh. be fantastical. Yeah, and then in the story, Shannon is like, I would like to point out that I was not drinking. I was just there watching. I was I'm a good, a good Mormon. <laughs> and we're like, and you're watching, you're like, okay okay we didn't need to we didn't know that sure we did not care so yeah um we also know that mark liked to buy really expensive things status was really big for him which knowing his his the little that we know about his family isn't super surprising wealth is a big thing um he also was heard saying in magazines that he's in the business of dealing um you know, documents to make the money. Um, He was also spending a lot of money flying back and forth between coasts. Um, And 1985, there would be lots of money, as Dory tells us, and then there would be no money. Um, Money was always being passed from hand to hand. So it'd be like, oh, well, you know, I just paid this guy $200,000, but I'm supposed to be getting like a million dollars from this guy. They even say that like he was in the in the dealings of getting like a $600,000 house and then it fell through. Um, and Dory kind of says like, there was a real disconnect between the two of them when it came to money that he would be like, Oh, money's not a big deal. Um, and then the investigators kind of say like, he was getting a lot of money. So like, that's not a motive for murder. Yeah. <sighs> oh, okay. Abby. <laughs> Just yawn into the mic. Um, uh- Keep going. And so uh, he uh, takes a lie detector test. And as we said, the max that you can get is 14 and he gets 14. Um, Many people didn't understand why nothing was coming out of this investigation. Specifically, we see Brent. This is when Brent starts to get really upset. He's like, I don't know why anything wasn't coming out of this investigation. Like people died. Um, And a lot of people started to believe that Mark was being framed for this. Um, Mm -hmm. Neighbors and family members were like, Mark's not capable of doing this. Um, A motive was needed and the police were not finding it. And then Mark's father's like, I don't believe that my son did this. Like, we believe and pray that the truth will come out. And I want to be like, honey, how (laughs) how many documentaries have we watched so far where the father of the serial killer is like, my son didn't do this. He's incapable of doing this. Literally the Yorkshire Ripper's father yeah. was like, he is not capable of doing this. And he brutally murdered and, and, and uh, manipulated like pe- uh, people's bodies. Like, I'm sorry, but love and knowing someone can be blinded and everyone can hide a part of themselves if they want to from loved ones. So... Then we're back in the war room with Gary and they're going through evidence uh, one more time, trying to find some kind of motive and nothing is really making sense until they find a receipt for a engraving company. Um, And (laughs) the engraving, it was like they were getting, um, I don't know how to, like, they were getting, like, those plates that you can, like, 
print. So it's like, it's a printing plate. So you, yeah. you put the ink on it and then you press it in like a, a pressing machine. Um, and so uh, the receipt was under the name Mike Hansen for the engraving company. Um, so the, the investigators were like, Hey, we'll contact this company. One of them was in Utah and they were like, Hey, like my name's Mike Hansen. I'm really looking for a receipt for docu, uh, for like tax documents, which I'm like, can you really nowadays pretend to be somebody else? But I guess it was easier to do that back then. Um, and the receipt, uh, said that the plates had been, uh, they were plates used for forgeries. Um, and they're like, if everything is, is a forgery, then this is the motive that they've been looking for the whole time. Right. So then they they call up the FBI, um, the, this guy who's a forensic document authenticator, um, George, all- George Throckmorton. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> who says that he got into uh, authenticating documents because he, quote, doesn't like people. <laughs> Same, <Amoon>. dude. <laughs> so he is, uh, yeah, so he's called to try to prove basically the opposite of whatever people tell him about the documents. So he goes to try and, like, with the mindset that I'm going to try to prove these are fake because everyone's saying these are real. Um, but he was also a Mormon and there was some bias there. So he decides to um, call up another authenticator to help him so that it would be an unbiased thing. And that other guy says like, oh, he called me and I answered the phone and he was like, what's your religion? (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm a non-practicing Catholic. And he was like, perfect. (laughs) Yeah. And that gentleman, his name is William Flynn. Um, He comes up I put his name later on in the notes, but that that's the, so George and William are like the two peas in a pod going through all of these documents to prove that they're indeed fakes and not um, authentic. So then in December of 1985, um, we just, uh, the authentication comes back for the oath of a free man that it is indeed authentic and it is, a very valuable documents. So they're going to place it at the base of the Statue of Liberty. Um, they also come forward saying that the Salamander letter was also authentic. And so this is now really fucking up the case because now they don't have a motive if these documents are real. And uh, William Flynn saw that like they, they, they needed hard evidence and they were just not getting hard evidence. So we get a transition over to Dory, our girl, um, <laughs> our girl, our boy, our everybody. Everybody is our girl. Everybody's our guy. Everybody. Everyone's our our woman. I don't know why we always say girl, but anyways. Um, so Dory says that uh, Mark really saw Jr. at from Dallas, the TV show, as a role model for him. Um, there's also this very weird footage where Mark is filming his wife during a news report about him. And he says, like, do you recognize anybody on that news? And um, she said, like, Mark loved to watch the news about himself. Like, he reveled in the attention that he was getting, Um, which just also puts you on edge. Um, 
And uh, so George and William, they were both going back to the police side of it. They're like, okay, the FBI said this, but like, you don't want to fuck with the FBI. But also at the same time, like they did not agree with the FBI. They were like, something is wrong and that they should have found it. And that they were mad that their examination was so um, shallow. Like they weren't going deep within it. So they were like, okay, we have to sit down and like really dig deep into these, um, really dig deep into these documents. And this is when they all of a sudden noticed that there is this, what are you doing on your phone? Taking a picture of you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Um, so they really started to notice this pattern that some of the ink was cracking and they didn't understand what was doing that and why it was doing that. Um, and so they started to look at documents that they had gotten from the archive of the Later Day Saints. And that, and they were putting it into piles of ones that, docu- that um, Mark had handled and ones that had you know, been archived before Mark was even born in comparison. And this pattern started to emerge that every document that Mark had handled, the ink had cracked. And then mm. the ones that the, the church had were not cracked. And so then that was one like, hey, there, we got a red flag. Something's wrong here. <laughs> and then the other thing was that they tracked down uh, two companies that Mike Hansen had bought in plates from. Again, they don't know who Mike Hansen is at this point. Um, but they go to the one in Utah, I believe, that had done the Oath of a Free Man plates. Mm-hmm. And um, it looked, the person who had come in, Mike Hansen, had paid for it in cash, but he was $2 short, legit $2 short. And instead of going and getting cash and coming back, he does a personal check. And who is the personal check signed by? None other than our buddy Mike Hoff, Mark Hoffman, not Mike, Mark Hoffman. <laughs> Boom! So they get the plates and they test them out and they find that the there's cracking in the ink and they've got the holy grail and the oath could be, and the oath, if the oath had been authentic, it would have bought Mark Hoff. Mark Hoffman out of all of his financial problems that he was currently in. And there are fr- um, our friends are our motive. And suddenly it comes out and Alan Rust is devastated. He's still crying to this day about it. Like he, like the, the poor old man, his poor little red eyes are all poofy. And I just wanted to give him a hug. Um, he's, a, he's a sad little old man. Yes. And then Mark Hoffman had told Brent, I hope they catch the bastard. And Brent says, little did I know I was sitting right next to the man, to that, that man. That did it. Yeah. And then the news report also says that McLennan, the McLennan collection had never actually been seen. And then the final line of episode two is the house of cards that Mark Hoffman started to make began to fall apart. Don't, don't, don't. So, so. Um, so, sorry. <laughs> what are you doing? No, I was just, um. Okay, so, um, 
uh, that's the end of episode two. And we're going to go ahead and uh, we're leaving it there. Um, there's only three episodes in this one. So next week, we're just going to be covering the third episode. And then we will should also have a special guest there to talk to us about that. Um, about Mormonism. <laughs> Get very excited, guys. It's going to yes, be. Yes, yes. It's going to awesome. be so fun. So, all right. Um, positive vibe, Abby. And positive well, vibe. Actually, you know what? Any thoughts before we leave this episode? Um, mm, I mean, I'm just really excited to watch this unfold. Like, this is really uh, a crazy, like, Oh, it's so good. I love conspiracies. I love conspiracies. So I really lo- enjoying watching this unfold. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Yes. Um, this, honestly, this is a really like good documentary. Definitely a different perspective of things. This is a story that I had never heard about prior to Netflix bringing this documentary out as I go to burp. Um, classy marissa as always um so um highly recommend that you guys watch it for yourself there's a lot that like we have covered but also like definitely i think it's so interesting to watch like people that the talking heads that we're seeing now and like see film footage of them when they were younger was just so it's just always so interesting like it was interesting while we've done you know jack uh not jack the ripper the yorkshire ripper um and then uh night stalker but there's something about this one because of how old it is and just like how dramatically all of these people have changed over the years it's just it's really interesting it is really interesting interesting. Anyway, I really like this. I really like this one so far. I think it's really cool. It's really well made. It's really, uh, it's really interesting. It's fun. I highly, I highly recommend in the first or second episode, I believe it's the first episode. They have this guy who literally sings, we love the Utah. Yes. (laughs) This reporter, this reporter from back in that day. And they show him a clip of him uh, singing like the Utah anthem, which is crazy but anyway um (laughs) death watch it just for that (laughs) yeah so um positive vibes positive vibes for the day um it is my spring break this coming week so i have the week off from work giving me the finger and uh so i have the week off from work really looking forward to that really looking forward to uh having a little vacation i'm gonna do absolutely nothing but you know so you're you're taking the notes for next week is what you're telling me so i will be taking the notes for next week because i have nothing else to do (laughs) um yeah so so that's my posi vibe what's Uh, your posi vibe my posi vibe is That's a great question. I'm sadly, I don't have a lot of posy vibes. Um, I do really need to take a shower. I really honestly cannot tell you. I think it was Friday was the last time I took a shower. Today's Sunday. Okay. Yesterday, I legit slept until 2 p.m. and then went back to bed at 5 p.m., woke up at 7, and then decided Shake Shack was what I was going to get for dinner. Um. We love ourselves in Shake Shack. All right. Um, oh, socials. You can follow us on Instagram at um, 
we are at caffeinated crime pod on Instagram. You can also email us crimes all caffeinated at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at CWC pod and we also have a uh, Patreon and again, shout out to Becca for being a $5 Patreon monthly um, yep. member. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon, the link is in the bio of our Instagram. Uh, please consider Please consider. <laughs> please, please consider funding our caffeine addiction, um, so that we can one day quit our jobs and just do this full time. That would be great. But you know, uh, one dollar a month would be great. We are working on material to post up there. We yeah. just, uh, it's it's really hard when Abby can't sit through an hour and ten minute ghost hunting video. I can't sit through anything. So. <laughs> no shade thrown or anything. All right. So to sum it all up and to finish, finish this out, don't forget to take your meds. meds. Take your meds. Okay. Bye. Bye.